0: This is the Sterling Vineyard Sundays podcast. We are a church passionate about encountering Jesus and sharing His love with our city. To find out more about who we are, visit our website at sterlingvineyard.co.uk. Well, good morning, everyone. Morning, morning. It's great to see you. It's an absolute delight to be here. It's very emotional actually, isn't it? Five years. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing what God has done in five years? It's an astonishing thing. Uh, uh, You know, um, well, God has done amazing things, but also you have amazing leaders uh, that makes a big difference. A huge shout out to Hannah and also Ali and Fee. Aren't they amazing? Yeah, they are. Come on. You can like Yeah. And um, if this is what God has done in five years, imagine what he could do in 10. You know, if he was with us and for us and able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, which he is, uh, then what could he do in 10 years? And then if he could do that in 10 years, what could he do in 50 years uh, or 100 years? Uh, what would Sterling look like if God was doing extraordinary things like this for the next 50 years, 100 years? It's really, really amazing. And it's a joy to be here, to be part of your uh, Fifth birthday celebrations. Uh, I'm looking forward to being invited back for the you know sixth, seventh, eighth, or whatever. It's, good. it's, it's just great to be here. Um, I, I know you know this, but we're living in a really remarkable time. It's a very unsettling time, isn't it? You, you know uh, we, we live through uh, sorry to bring it up, but we live through a global health crisis. Uh, alongside that there's an environmental crisis, then we, we've been experiencing a global economic crisis and a cost of living crisis, and now more recently a number of crises in foreign affairs and, and so on with the war in Ukraine, and then uh, the war in, in Gaza and all these kinds of things. And the, the net effect of those things is uh, very unsettling. It's like the world is being shaken, isn't it? And And Uh, People are feeling very uncertain, which is maybe why wherever we're going in Scotland, what we're seeing is a remarkable increased openness to the good news of Jesus. I don't know whether you're experiencing that here. I'll find out over lunch. But but it is amazing, the stories that are coming around and, and being told of people's just, it's certainly happened in our context, people stepping into church off the street, not knowing why they're there. You know, it's like I feel, we hear this language all the time, I feel compelled to come. You know, we, just this past Sunday night, we had a... Um, A girl who is a practicing Muslim, come, you know, just she was walking past. She was like, "I just had to come in," and then she uh, participated in the whole service. She came forward for ministry at the end, and then she explained, "Oh, I'm practicing Muslim. I don't know why I'm here. I'm just here." There's a remarkable openness to the gospel, and so uh, what I want to speak about this morning really is about the church because this is a great time to be the church. I don't know whether you know that or believe that, but this is a great time to be the church because people are looking for hope. And we have hope, you know if there's one thing that we do have that you know we we can say with absolute certainty, we have a hope, and so um I want to start by reading some scripture from Acts chapter fourteen. If you've got a Bible with you, then feel t- free to produce it. if you've got it in a kind of digital form um, and you're looking at your phone in these next few minutes, I'll believe the best of you uh, and um so just to explain what's what's happening here um This this is uh, the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. And so Paul and Barnabas, they've been sent off from the church in Antioch. They've kind of gone on this missionary journey from uh, Antioch to Cyprus to Pisidian Antioch to Iconium. And now they're in Lystra. And um, it's been going amazingly well. Lots and lots of people have come to faith. And then it suddenly takes a dark turn. And that's where we're going to pick it up from. So Acts chapter 14, going to read from verse 19. It says this: Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium, uh, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left, left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they'd put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back from Antioch, back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. That's God's word to us today. Uh, Taryn and I, we have three children, uh, mostly teenagers, uh, one of them just uh, 20. And uh, just recently we were saying, oh, let's all go out for lunch. And so, so uh, you know, suddenly they, they all headed up to their rooms and there was the sound of wardrobe doors opening and shutting and, and you know, hair dryers and, and all of that stuff. And then after about half an hour, they came downstairs and they were all wearing what I thought looked absolutely ridiculous, you know, so, so massively oversized t-shirts and hoodies that looked like they belonged to someone 10 times bigger, uh, huge bulbous trainers, uh, jeans that only came halfway down their leg and, and were showing off really stripy socks, uh, and, uh, you know, massive hair, and I, I, I like, I... I You know, as a parent, you just have to kind of hold in what you really want to say. And what I really wanted to say was, I didn't really realize we were going out for lunch in fancy dress. You know, they just look ridiculous. And then they turned to look at me, and I was wearing pretty much what I'm wearing now. And they said, Dad, we can't believe you're going out of the house looking like that. You are so not normal. And it's really hard to know what normal is these days, isn't it? And I want to speak this morning about what a normal church is. I wonder what you think a normal church looks like. What does a normal church look like? Let me just explain what I mean. You know, the first two verses that we read there verses 19 and 20 would be verses that that we in the vineyard would be quite comfortable with. So so here's the apostle Paul, he it looks like actually, he, I mean, this may be the moment where the apostle Paul's raised from the dead. We don't know. But certainly he's so unwell, he's been so bruised and battered that he looks like he's dead. And, and so then it says in verse 20 that the disciples of Jesus gathered around what looks like dead Paul. And then there's a comma and then it says, and Paul got up and went back into the city, and and we don't know what they did in that comma, but in the vineyard, we love to try and experiment and try and figure it out, don't we? Like, we love to just lay hands on sick people, broken people, sometimes even dying people, and pray that God would come, and pray that his kingdom would break through, and sometimes, do you know what? It does, and so we're familiar with that, and, and We would say that that whatever happened in that comma is pretty normal for us. That's like normal ministry. That's normal prayer. That's a normal way of life for us. Uh, and, And so what we do is when we're looking through the scriptures, we compare what happens in the scriptures with our own experience. And we say, well, if my experience isn't matching up with the book, then I'm the abnormal one. Right? You know, it'd be wrong to do it the other way around, wouldn't it? To say, well, I'm normal and the Bible's abnormal. That, that would be wrong. And so, you know, we're, we're going to look at the, uh, Jesus and how he laid his hands on sick people. And we're going to look at the apostles and, and the early church, how they laid their hands on sick people. And then we're going to say, well, whatever happens there, I want to be true of my life. And I'm going to try, try and become as normal as the scriptures. But the thing is, what, what's kind of rising in my heart in these days is, is like, I don't only want a normal ministry. I don't only want normal praying for the sick. I also want a normal church. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my church and I'm going to kind of match it up to whatever you find in the Bible. And I'm going to say, whatever's in this book has to be normal. And so if I'm not experiencing in my church what's in the book, then my church isn't normal and i want to compare what's happening in this book with my own experience and i want i want to say god please would you make my church a normal church and i don't know whether you've noticed but in the scriptures there is only really one kind of church it's like a growing planting fruitful spreading church that's a normal church. You, you know, Acts chapter 1, there were 120 people in the church. Acts chapter 2, there were 3,120. Acts chapter 4, there were 5,000 men, which is maybe fifteen to 20,000 people. And the church grows from Jerusalem, spreads out to all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so I'm going to say, Lord, please would you make my church like that kind of church? That's the kind of church that I could get excited about. And, and as I was praying and thinking about, you know, being here in Stirling, thinking about what, like, what I would want to say to you. I would want to say, I wonder whether you could begin to think and pray about what does a normal church look like in Stirling? What kind of impact could you have if you were the kind of church that was a growing, fruitful, planting, spreading church that had a big impact on this city and the region and beyond. And so uh, I wonder what this passage would have to tell us about what a normal, what do you need to have if you want a normal church? And the first thing is you need a normal message. You need a normal message. I became a Christian when I was 15. My parents weren't Christians um, and so I kind of stepped into a whole new world where where, uh, all kinds of things I didn't know existed before. So I'd walk past the Christian bookshop most days and never noticed it. And suddenly there it was, Oh, there's a bookshop, especially for people like me. And so I walked into the bookshop, and it turns out they didn't only sell books. They also sold T-shirts. There was a whole rack of T-shirts. And so I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, avail myself of some Christian paraphernalia. And so I I had one T-shirt. It looked like it said heavy metal. But then when you got closer, it actually said Heavenly Metal. Do you see? It was like, wow. And there's another one. It, it, it was black. It had red writing. It said, worship the best. And unfortunately, once I'd washed it a few times, it, it kind of faded a bit. And it looked a bit more like it said, worship the beast, which was like entirely the wrong message. That wasn't what I wanted to communicate at all. But alongside their books and the T-shirts, there were also fridge magnets. And, you you know, like the kind of verses of scripture on them that you would do really well to memorize and look at every day. It was like, I'm going to put that on my fridge. I'm going to chew over that, meditate on that, and then it's going to do me good. And, And, you know, like, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Or I can do all things through God who gives me strength. Well, it's quite strange, actually, because I've never come across a fridge magnet for the message of encouragement that Paul and Barnabas took around the churches because it actually tells us in the passage doesn't it you know it says they went around strengthening encouraging the churches and it tells them the particular message and the message is there in verse 22 this is their me- you're ready to be really built up and encourage people here we go we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God well, thank you so much for coming, Paul. Please don't come again. You know, it's like you must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It turns out that's the full gospel. See, we, when we communicate the good news of Jesus, we, we tend to only communicate half of it. You know, we say, you can enter the kingdom of God. You know, and, and we try and make it so easy for people. It's like you could just blink and accidentally slip into the kingdom of God. But that isn't the gospel that Jesus communicated. And that's why they're saying we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You think about it, Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Do you see, the full gospel is we get to experience the kingdom, but it comes at a cost. And we have to be willing to lay down everything for the sake of the kingdom of God. And do you know what, there are places all over the world where where you don't need to explain that to to Christians because they already know. Uh, my wife, Taryn, was invited a few years ago to go to a country in Central Asia where it's very dangerous to be a Christian. And, uh, you know, when she was like, oh, I'm, I've been invited to this place where people get killed for believing in Jesus, I was like, no, I don't want you to go. Please don't go. And, in fact, she just disobeyed me because that's the kind of wife that she is. And, and so, uh, <laughs> you know, off she went. And, and it, it was really scary because... Um, you know there was one moment we could only communicate by text and so she she swapping text messages with me one day and then suddenly she goes please pray we've been stopped by the police and then there was no other text message for 4 hours and i'm like oh my gosh what on earth has happened but uh, you know eventually she was like no it's okay it's okay they've let us go it's going to it's going to be okay this is a dangerous place to be a christian and and so the stories that she told of her time there was like you, you know, uh, the believers have to, have to travel in the middle of the night uh, with no headlights on their car to, to drive for like three or four hours to get to a disused railway station in the middle of nowhere where they're able to sing out loud because it's not safe to do that anywhere else. They would just sing at the top of their lungs to Jesus. Just, uh, do you see, you don't need to explain to them that the kingdom comes at a cost. So I wonder why somebody would have to explain it to us. There's something very strange about Christianity in the modern Western world where most of us don't pay very much of a cost for following Jesus. But what if we were willing to? You know, what strikes me being here today is that Hannah moved from Aberdeen, single woman, not knowing what God would do, just I'm going to obey God and I'm going to go to a city which is, you know, I don't know a soul really and I'm going to, because I believe God's called me to do this and, to, and look what's come of it. And so we have to maybe think about each one of us, like if, if, if God is going to do something extraordinary in this city, then maybe we all could consider the cost in that way. We need to be normal. We need a normal message. Secondly, we need normal disciples. So here's a rough paraphrase of roughly speaking what happens in Acts chapters 13 and 14. So uh, the apostle Paul and Barnabas, they leave, uh, leave Antioch. And then they go, you know, and they head off to all these different places, uh, Cyprus, Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and then Derbe. And at each place they go, they preach the gospel, and a whole bunch of people come to faith. You'll have seen it there in verse 21. They preach the gospel in that city, which happened to be Derbe, and won a large number of disciples. And so uh, we don't know exactly what that looked like, whether it was like, just, you know, whilst we're all standing here, if you want to become a Christian this morning, just stick up your hand where you are, and people are sticking up their hands, or whether they invite people to the front or out to a side room, we don't know, but a whole bunch of people come to faith, and so let's just call those people like Barry, Harry, Gary... Sally and Barbara, and so you know, in one particular city, Barry, Harry, Larry, Gary, whatever they were called, Sally and Barbara, they become become Christians, and then Paul and Barnabas are chased out of that city, so they go on to the next place. They lead some people to Jesus. They go on to the next place. They lead some people to Jesus, and and so it goes on like that. And most scholars think that the entire missionary journey is like nine months. So they've gone to all these different cities. A whole bunch of people come to faith. Then they turn around. And they come back, and basically they come back along the same cities, and as they do that, it says that they appointed leaders in each church. And so I just want you to imagine what that's like, you know? Hi, Barry, Larry, Harry, Gary, Sally, Barbara, so brilliant to see you again. Oh, it's, it's great to see you, Paul. Like, we're hoping that you're going to, explain, us to uh, explain to us a bit more about what following Jesus is like. And he's like, yeah, I will do that. I'm not here for very long, but the good news is you're now appointed as the leaders of the church. And they're like, no, 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 we just became a Christian like two weeks ago. seems a bit irresponsible, doesn't it? Like surely there's somebody else. Barry, Harry, Larry, Gary, Sally, Barbara. They're like, no, 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 uh, um, there must be somebody else. And Paul's like, there is nobody else. You're it. You're God's plan A. You're going to be the leaders of the church. And there are lots of things that you could say about that. But I think one of the things that you could say is that these people are being appointed to leadership, uh, uh, kind of deployed into ministry way before they feel ready. And maybe that's how it works. Maybe that's discipleship in the kingdom. That maybe we often find ourselves in places where we don't feel ready. Maybe you right now are feeling called to something and you're like, but Lord, you know, give it another two years, five years, ten years. I, I, like, I'm not ready right now. And the Lord's like, well, it was okay for Barry, Sarah, Sally, Barbara, whatever their names was. It, and it's okay for you. What if God's, maybe there's some people in the room. God's calling to start a business or start a small group or start a church. Or become a police officer or a head teacher or whatever it is. What is God calling you to you know, if we're going to be a normal church, then we need some normal disciples, people who are willing, willing to step into the gap. And then the last thing is we need a normal sense of urgency, a normal sense of urgency. I'd love to just share with you a bit of the story of our church because it kind of like, you're, you're part of it in, in lots of ways. So, so um, as our church started to grow, we started running out of space. And we tried lots of different ways to resolve that space issue. We, you know, we tried to get, tried to extend the building that we have, uh, and then it was going to be one point eight million pounds, and so we couldn't afford to do that. And then we tried to buy a bunch of other buildings, and uh, we, they kept selling the buildings to other people for less money. It was like really, really, seriously depressing. And then eventually, we just borrowed a building, like a Pentecostal church down the road, and we said. Uh, could we just borrow this building just, just for a few weeks until we figure out what we're going to do next and we'll have an overflow service. And so we had a 10 o'clock service in one building and an 11 o'clock service down the road. Whoever was preaching in one building just ran down the road and preached at the next one. And uh, on the first Sunday we did that, I, happened to be me preaching and Uh, I thought, oh, no, I've made a terrible mistake. I haven't done any exercise since I left school. And so I I arrived, you know, literally uh, uh, ran down the road um, uh, looking like I was going to have a heart attack, you know, like unable to breathe, uh, sweating profusely. And a lady meets me on the door and she says, welcome to Catalyst Vineyard. Is this your first time? I was like, no, I'm sort of like the pastor. um, uh, But it was her second week. And she was suddenly like, there's a place for me here. And so she's like joining in. And, and then there were people in the worship team. I didn't even know they played an instrument. And to be honest, they barely did play an instrument. But they'd seen a guitar under their bed. And they were like, I'm needed here. I'm going to play the guitar. And, and then there were people serving tea and coffee at the end of the service. And we knew for a fact that they were, um, had been sitting on the back row for a number of months. And they were working their way towards the back door. And, and suddenly they were back in the heart of this kind of miss, missional adventure together. And people started to become Christians in that building just as much as they were in the other one. And so it was like we stumbled upon the Lord. And, and the story of our church is, is like stumbling from one thing to another. And, and, you know, like honestly, at every turn we would have chosen the other way if the Lord hadn't made it completely obvious. But our church began to spread out. And so we were meeting in two locations. We were like, Lord, this is the thing. Now that we're meeting in two locations, we could be meeting in four or eight locations right the way across this region. And so uh, we, we, we said that to the church. Some people who were here were part of that whole adventure. And, and so, so um, we asked the church for an impossible amount of money. And, and the Lord provided an ex- in a miraculous way. And the church started to spread out. And we now meet in eight different locations around the northeast of Scotland. It's completely wild. And, and the way I describe it is being a bit like the Eiffel Tower. You know, the Eiffel Tower, really impressive from a distance. The closer you get to it, the more it just looks like holes. And, and uh, you know, our church is like mas- mainly thin air, uh, uh, you know, with a bit of structure. But it's amazing what the Lord's done. And then the Lord started to speak to us about, you know, like, what does it look like to send teams of people or individuals to other parts of Scotland? You know, you know there are loads of places all over Scotland where you would have to drive for a really long way to get to a vineyard church and and, you know vineyard church isn't the only kind of church but it's one kind of church and some people like it like wouldn't it be great if there were other vineyard churches around Scotland and so we sent Thomas and Mary to Inverness and we just celebrated their sixth birthday two weeks ago Uh, and then the set number two was Hannah uh, and uh, so you guys are number two out of this whole adventure, uh, and now, now there are seven of those, you know, like, like that, and we're, we're just about to announce number eight, although we can't tell you uh, at the moment, otherwise we'd have to kill you. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's amazing what the Lord's doing. But, but my point is that, that, like, so you're part of this story of expansion and, and spreading out that the Lord's been doing, but all of that takes place against a backdrop of tragic decline. You know, in 2002, they did a survey of the number of Christians in church on a particular Sunday in 2002, and the number was 573,000. And then they did the same survey in 2016, and it was 390,000. So between 2002 and 2016, a third of the church in Scotland disappeared. And there is an urgency in the heart of God... For lost people. And do you know what? There are lost people in Stirling. And in right the way across central Scotland. And beyond. And what you see in this passage is the Apostle Paul and Barnabas saying, we're going to communicate the good news to as many people as possible. So we're just going to like go for it. You know, okay, let's go to Cyprus, Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe. Let's just go wherever we can and speak to as many people as possible. Just try and like, communicate the good news of Jesus to whoever we possibly can, whoever we can meet on the way. And it's like, what will we do in our day? Paul and Barnabas leave a legacy of churches all over the Mediterranean. What will we do in our day in Scotland? And so on your fifth birthday... Can I just say this? Please will you dream as big as you can? Please will you dream as big as you can? And please will you dream not only about Stirling, although there are lots of lost people in Stirling, but please will you start to think about what does it look like to reach the whole of the uh, you know central Scotland and, and, and to plant churches in other parts of Scotland? Uh, and then I mean, I suppose what you could do then is say, well, to be honest, there are desolate cities all over Europe, and so you know like just dream as big as you want but what is it that the Lord wants to do and how does he want to use us? These guys live with a normal sense of urgency and so maybe the Lord needs to do something in our hearts so that we would feel that too. Why don't we stand? And Lord... um, One of the things that that the, the early church and us have in common is the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But we need more. We need more of your power, God. Would you come right now, fill us with your presence and power. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And just wherever you are, just receive. You don't need to pray, you just need to receive. We're just going to wait. Thanks for listening to the Sterling Vineyard Sunday podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, please visit our website at sterlingvineyard.co.uk or find us on social media at Sterling Vineyard Church.